girl, hey! What's up? Well, for one thing, I never want to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. That's fine. It is Thanksgiving week. Yeah, we said our Thanksgiving uh, blessings upon you all on Thursday, but... Because uh, we're just really excited for that trip to Fan High, man. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, we're back. Uh, regular week, so just on Tuesday, which is all you're going to need because uh, this is a rough one. Yeah. No, like, I'm going to eat my feelings after this one, low-key, little bit. Yeah. Um, so yesterday, the yesterday of you listening to this, um, was the International Day... Let me get the actual House name of Pancakes? Right. No. <laughs> the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. Mm-hmm. So I found that out by... I don't remember. I think it was like a Google search or something. And I was like, hey, what a... <laughs> I'm sorry, did you hear Felix just fall off the vanity? I did not. I wish there, I did. There was a thud. My back is to him, but there was a thud. Just a... Good. That's the kind of levity we need before this episode. Oh, Felix. Always the comic relief. Okay. Oh, yes. Um. Anyway, I'm getting sorry. Back Carry to on. It. I did not mean to interrupt, but I just... If anybody heard it, I needed to acknowledge. Good. Um, so yeah, the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women is, uh, every year on November 25th, so that was yesterday, and I thought, what a, um, better way to bring attention to this, um, cause than to do an episode on it, because I never knew what it was before doing the research for this episode. So, um, I'm gonna do a trigger warning right up top. So I'm going to tell four stories of incredible female survivors of abuse, of rape, and various types of torture that it's rough to listen to. It was really rough to do all of the research for this episode. So um, I just wanted to let everyone know what this episode is going to be about because it is going to be uh, difficult to hear. I wouldn't listen to this at work without your headphones in. If I can just say that. I mean, I I don't think I listen to any true crime podcasts with my headphones not in. Maybe that's, that's true. just me. Yeah, it's not usually a very family-friendly topic. But this I one mean, in particular. Yeah. But if you're going to listen to any of them without your headphones in, this is not the one to do it. Yeah, uh, this I haven't been this bummed out from researching an episode since um, Sylvia Likens. Oh wow! All the way in like the beginning, and that one and that, was a whoa. Yeah, that's, I still that's a I still clench a little bit. Yeah, like not being funny like that story literally like it makes my uterus clench. I don't know what it is. I just I can't do it. That's the yeah. one. And I think we've talked about it before. Haley got so mad at me for that one because I wasn't interacting with her enough. And I'm sitting there like, if I open my mouth, I will vomit. <laughs> I was like, I had to research it. You have to react to it. I know. And um, I was just like, I can't. I can't. It's not going to be good ASMR for the episode. <laughs> just me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just want to yeah, preface it. Trigger warning. If any of these things are uh, triggering for you or if you don't like... Um, 
true crime podcasts when they kind of go for it. Um, maybe this isn't your episode and you can come back to us later on. But if you are in it for the long haul, just know that the four women that I am telling the stories of today are survivors. They yep. are warriors. They are incredible women who I got my, most of the information from like the, their stories um, from episodes of a show called I Survived, which I'll talk about a little bit later, but it's the survivor telling their own story. It's, it's a phenomenal like series if you haven't seen it. It's basically it, like straight to camera depictions of what happened and no frills, no like crazy reenactments. Like it's just people telling how they survived. And it's not just women, it's men too. It's um, attacks from animals, it's abuse, it's like a whole bunch of stuff. But right. um, yeah, so I'm going to just jump on into it, it. But yeah, I quite. I quite like that series. It makes me just kind of feel good that not everybody, not sometimes crime does have a happy ending. Yeah, and they're all incredibly strong as they're telling their stories, which are, yes. as you will hear, horrific. So the fact that they can actually sit there and describe what happened to them in detail and be as poised and amazing, I, I can't even unfathomable unfathomable um so the first story i'm going to uh, talk about is allison botha so on december 17th 1994 27 year old allison botha had spent the perfect day at the beach with her friends in port elizabeth which is one of the largest cities in south africa the group ended their evening at allison's apartment eating pizza and playing balderdash which anyone can relate to I was going to uh, say, that sounds like a fun time. Like, I want to do yeah, that. Right? Um, it was towards the end of the night. Allison had just come back to her apartment after dropping off her friend Kim at her house. And it's one o'clock in the morning. Unfortunately, she had lost her preferred parking spot right outside her door. So she had to search for another spot within walking distance, which if you've lived in an apartment like mine, it happens all the or time. Or mine. Yep. <laughs> yes. Same. Yeah. Um, so she found a spot under a huge tree but it blocked out the streetlights from the already dimly lit road. She reached over to grab her laundry bag from the passenger seat and suddenly felt a gush of warm air, and her driver's side door had been flung open, and a tall blonde man carrying a knife was standing there. And he said, quote, That's... move over or I'll kill you. Uh, and then he got into the driver's seat. So, not cool. No, not no. at all. It's one o'clock in the morning, like, you already can't see a lot because you're under, like, this covered parking spot and nobody else is around but this guy with a knife. So she Not was understandably it. terrified and in shock, so she did as she was told. And the man stepped on the accelerator, and after a few minutes of driving, he said to her, quote, I don't want to hurt you, I just want to use your car for an hour, end quote. Okay, maybe, I don't know, there are apps for that. Like, this was 1994. Yeah, but like, there <laughs> there has to be. What well, I'm saying, there's apps now, but like, there's got to be a service back then. Like, also, if this you just want to use the car, it. why not just throw her out of the car? Yes, exactly. Like, there are so many ways in which <clears throat> he could have not done this to this woman. Yeah, and obviously a lie. 
So Allison considered jumping out of the moving car, but she was frozen in fear. And she begged the man who referred to himself as Clinton to just take the car and and let her go. But he refused. He said that there was someone that owed him money and that this wouldn't take long. After driving them around, Clinton picked up a man he called uh, Thans. I think is how you say it. He's a shitty guy, so Uh I don't really care if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Yeah, he can get Um, fucked. And the three drove off to the outskirts of Port Elizabeth, um, which was a deserted area that Allison's parents had always warned her not really to go to. It wasn't safe to go by herself. Um, Allison knew when they had stopped in the bush that something terrible was going to happen. The men told her that they were going to have sex with her and asked if she would put up a fight. Oh, my God. Yeah. The terrified Allison said no. And after the men raped her, they tried to suffocate her and she became unconscious. They then stabbed her over 35 times, mostly in the abdomen, until they thought that she was dead. Um, but when one of them saw her leg twitch, uh, Thans slashed her throat 17 times. Oh my... Oh, that's overkill. That's too much. No. It, th- this is a really rough section, so maybe dip out if you- this is making you uncomfortable. But okay, when Allison regained consciousness and she had to crawl to the, r- the main road... She had to hold her stomach with one hand so that her organs didn't fall out. Oh, my God. And she had to hold her... Her throat had been cut so deeply, she had to hold her own head up. Oh, my God. Yeah. Still made it to the road. She was able to flag down a car, and it rushed her to the hospital, where the doctors were in absolute shock over the severity of her injuries and the fact that she was still alive and moving. Um... As she recovered, Allison was able to identify the attackers, and the two men, Thayons Kruger and Franz de Troyes, both received life sentences in August 1995. Good. Um, Allison suffered from severe depression after the attack and didn't really know how to move forward with her life, so she began traveling the world and telling her story to empower other survivors. She began the... She be, became the first South African woman to speak publicly about the experience of rape. Which is insane because this is like 95, 96, 97. And she's the first woman to talk about it. You can't tell me it wasn't happening before this. Yeah, no, there's no way. Yeah. Like, they they were too, what's the word that I'm looking for? Like, this was too well executed. Yeah, they they were too confident about it that yeah. you have to think they probably had done this before. But not even just them. Just in the whole country, she's the only one to talk about it. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, in the year following the attack, she won the prestigious uh, Raritan Paul Harris Award for Courage Beyond the Norm, Femina Magazine's Woman of Courage Award, and she was announced Port Elizabeth Citizen of the Year. As she... Should be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was unclear afterwards if Allison would ever be able to have children due to the extent of her injuries. But nine years after the attack, Allison gave birth to a healthy baby named Daniel. And three years later, she had her second son, Matthew. That is fucking awesome. Yes. Um, This is really intense, too, because you're like, yay, she was able to have children. But like her children are going to ask her about oh, yeah. what had happened. So yeah. Allison said that she had to prepare herself for telling her children what happened to her. And she said, quote, I have never lied to my sons. I didn't want them to find out what happened to me by picking up my book or seeing me on TV, but I have never told them more than they were asking. 
My oldest son mm-hmm. was about five when he asked about the scar on my neck. I just said, mommy was hurt. And sometimes after you get hurt, you have a scar afterwards. And that was enough. You know, they got yeah, themselves. that's really, that's yeah. good. I'm sorry, not to interrupt, but like, that's, that's right. a great way to. Yeah, she said, they guide themselves on what they are able to digest. As they've gotten older and can comprehend more, they have wanted to know more, end quote. Which has to be crazy Rough. for her to try to explain that to children. And yeah, as they get older, they're going to want to know more. And as they get to like their teens and 20s, it, I'm sure it's going to be even harder for them to realize that their mother went through this as they start dating people and like all that goes on. But like, Jesus. Yeah. I like her way of handling it, though. It's like. Yeah, I'm not going to lie to them. And if she did lie and they found, like, I'm going to talk about she wrote a book. Um, if they if she did lie and they picked up her book, she, they'd be like, what? <laughs> yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and that would have made it, that would have made things worse. Exactly. I think. Yeah. And, like, people need to know this story is one of, also one of the reasons that she is an advocate for survivors and talks about her experience because this she's not the only one that has gone through an experience like this. So yeah. people need to know that they're not alone. Um, so Alison Botha is widely considered one of South Africa's most inspiring people. And she co-authored a book about her ordeal in 2016 called I Have Life, Alison's Journey. Um, the author on the book uh, is Marianne Tham. I think um, she, like, ghost wrote it for um, Allison. Um, okay. In 2016, there was a docudrama called Allison, and it was released on Amazon Prime, I think. Oh. Uh, it features Allison both herself narrating, and it was directed by Yuga Carlini, who had been researching the case since 2012. And although we sometimes worry about true crime documentaries and movies putting the bad guys on a pedestal, one of the actors who plays one of Allison's rapists said, quote, the documentary is about Allison, the survivor and not about friends and fans. Um, Allison said of the movie, quote, I think they have captured the essence of it, the horror and the fear. And then the complete miraculous lightness of, Oh wow. How did I survive this? They got that. End quote. That's amazing. Yeah. Even more amazing. The movie has, it has no actual rotten tomato score, but it has an audience score of a hundred percent. Good. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, like, obviously, that's not, like... I know that doesn't necessarily help her, but at the same time... It's getting her story out there, and yes. it's, a, it's a depiction of her story that is correct and that she agrees with and that is not putting the people that did this in the limelight. It's her story. The, yeah. The, the movie's called Allison, so it's, it's 100% her. Um, it also got a 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb and a 95% Google score. That's pretty good. Like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not mad at that. Yeah, that's good. Our next amazing woman is Tika Adams. In December 2009, Tika Adams was seven months pregnant and she started receiving weird phone calls from an unknown number. The woman was nice and soft-spoken and told Tika that she worked for a nonprofit in uh, Washington, D.C. that helped out with pregnant women in need. And they had clothes and car seats and everything she would need 
um, so she can come and pick some stuff out. So she talked to this woman for uh, a couple of months and uh, until she was closer to giving birth um, and decided to meet up with her. Oh, Um, no, 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 no. Yeah, so Tika was in the midst of turning her life around. She was previously living on the streets, and she um, was seeking out help at a shelter and was very excited to have one less big expense to worry about. Yeah. Tika's husband, PJ, wasn't so sure. He was concerned that they did not know this woman, obviously, so he told Tika that she should be cautious. Um, Tika met up with a woman who called herself Stephanie outside of the woman's shelter. Tika said that Stephanie was really nice, and they talked about her pregnancy and um, recently getting married. Stephanie drove Tika to her apartment and told her to have a seat in her unfurnished bedroom. Tika got a call from her worried husband, who wanted to know where she was, um, but Tika didn't even really know where she was, so she just said everything's fine, and she hung up. Yeah. Um, Stephanie came back after a few minutes, and... I always I thought this was weird as she was telling the story in the episode that I'll talk about, but she's like, mm-hmm. she like put on movies. I was like, what? What? So she put on like a bootleg of the movie Precious. What? Yeah, which is that's, not like a lighthearted thing to watch. No, that's <laughs> what I was gonna say. Like, what are you trying to do? Yeah, right. So after a few minutes, Stephanie suddenly threw a heavy quilt over Tika's head and then started beating her with a fireplace poker. Oh, my Very God. Very heavy metal fireplace poker. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, uh, Tika jumped up and protected her face with her hands, and all she saw was blood. Um, she ran to the door, but it was locked with, like, one of those bolt locks, the chain, and then yeah. the knob lock. It was three different locks. Oh, my God. Um, Stephanie jumped on Tika's back, and the two fell on the floor wrestling. Tika said, quote, there was blood everywhere, and I can't really see. My eyes are burning, and my head is pounding, end quote. Uh, Stephanie is trying to suffocate Tika and choke her, but Tika continues to fight back. Stephanie grabbed the fireplace poker and started to beat Tika in the head again upwards of 40 times before Tika actually passed oh out. Oh, my God. Yeah. Pregnant. But still, like nine months pregnant any- at this point. And not for anything, 40 times it took until she passed out. Like, what yeah. a fighter. Yeah. Um, when she came to, she was being dragged down the hallway to the kitchen Tika said that she could hear Stephanie going through the drawers and then kneel down beside her. That's when she felt a sharp, intense pain in her side. She looked over and saw a box cutter in Stephanie's hand. As Tika was bleeding out, Stephanie started praying to God and asking for forgiveness and grabbing towels and began to clean up the blood. Uh, She asked Tika if she could get up, and of course she couldn't because she had a huge cut on her side. Um, Tika was then carried to Stephanie's bedroom and put on her bed, her bleeding eventually slowed and then stopped, and she was, but she was still way too weak to move. Stephanie had taken her phone, but Tika thought that if she could talk to this woman, she could maybe scare her into letting her go. And in an attempt to put herself in Stephanie's good favor, Tika brought up both of their families and said that she wouldn't uh, turn Stephanie in because she didn't believe in splitting up families. She could say anything to try to get away from yeah, this fucking woman. Yeah, like, you will say whatever you need exactly. to fucking say. Um, Stephanie didn't speak and just kept pacing around, but Tika could see that her plan might be working, that, like, maybe she was um, getting ready to convince her to let her go. But then Stephanie just turned on some movies on the TV and left Tika to lay awake most of the night. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
the next morning when she woke up, Tika saw Stephanie still pacing, um, but was more relaxed than the day before. Tika said, quote, why don't you just kill me? I can't do anything. I can't move. I can't walk. There's no use of you holding me here. End quote. Yeah. Stephanie just mumbled that she had to get out of there. And that made Tika very alarmed because if she wasn't going to kill her, um, Stephanie had to know that Tika knew too much to just let her go. Yeah. She knew where she lived, what car she drove, what she looked like, and a bunch of other personal details. So, like, if you're not going to kill her and you're not going to let her go, what is happening here? Um, Tika was actually held hostage in the house for three days before Stephanie came into the room holding a huge bowl of ice, some oh towels, my God. and various box cutters and knives and scissors. Um, she wrapped duct tape around Tika's face to seal her mouth shut and um, restrained her hands with the duct tape as well and began to try to attempt to cut the baby out of her body. Yeah. Jesus uh, Christ. Um, she had, like I said, she had Tika's hands tied down, but she had lost so much blood that she just couldn't fight. She just couldn't move. Um, she also said in the episode of I, I Survived that <laughs> she had such like a lightness to when she was talking about her ordeal that it's insane. But she said the entire time the Michael Jackson movie This Is It was playing in the background. Oh. So much so that like she like if she missed like if Ste quote unquote Stephanie missed what was said, she would rewind. And then oh? like Yeah. And she, it like it played over and over and Tika was like, I don't even like Michael Jackson. <laughs> and I was like, girl, <laughs> this is not the main part of your story. <laughs> But no, but I think that's a thing, isn't it? That when you are undergoing some kind of severe assault, whether it's rape, um, uh, you latch on to something outside of it. You, you, it's not even that you latch on so much as you disassociate and you focus yeah. on something else so that your body makes you do that so that you don't basically like lose your mind. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but she said all that. So anyway. Stephanie slashed Tika's bladder, thinking it was the water sack. She was actually nowhere near her uterus. Like, she obviously didn't know uh, what a body was like once she you get in there. She did not take a biology class. Yeah, so she slashed her bladder, and then she said to Tika, quote, all I have to do is reach in and grab the baby. Is that what you want me to do, or do you want to go to sleep? End quote. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, so Tika was actually able to say that she was in so much pain she needed to take a break. Stephanie oh, said okay. Oh my god. Yeah, Stephanie said okay, and she eventually fell asleep. She was lying in between Tika and the exit, but Tika managed to get herself up on her hands and knees, sit there for like a minute or two, and then she was able to stand, step over Stephanie, and move towards the front door. Oh About my halfway god. down the hallway, all of Tika's organs began to fall out of her ass. Oh god. So, agonizingly slowly, she made her way to the door, holding all of her organs in. Um, incredibly, she undoes all of the locks and makes it into the main hallway area of the apartment complex. She begins yelling and yelling for help, knocking on random doors, just looking for anybody to answer. Yeah. And she collapses on the stairs. Stephanie comes out and tries to silence Tika and drag her back to the apartment, but Tika fights back very strongly. Good girl. Yeah. Finally, a man from the third floor hears all the commotion, and he comes downstairs to see what's going on. 
um, Stephanie tries to tell him that um, she just had a miscarriage. She's delirious, blah, blah, blah. And Tika's like, no. no, no, she's trying to kill me. Like, you need to get help. And lifts up um, her shirt and shows him yeah. her injuries. So he freaks out, runs back to his apartment, and goes to call the police. Stephanie runs away. She's not going to be there on the scene when they get there. No. Um, but wait, what year is this? This is 2009. So this dude, uh, I, I do take issue with, I know he was trying to help, but you leave her with? the woman who's trying to kill her run back into your apartment and call the police you don't have a cell phone i don't know this is just in the in the story that she told okay okay um, like i know he was trying to help it's just it's it's frustrating yeah. well also he must have just been in total shock to see the extent of her injuries yeah yeah so emergency services arrive and rush tika into surgery when she woke up she immediately asked about her baby of course and she was told that she had given birth to a healthy eight-pound girl who she named Miracle. Which she is. I mean, yeah, I'll yeah. say. Um, Tika's attacker, Veronica Demeros, turned herself in a day later and pled guilty to assault and was sentenced to 25 years in jail. Demeros had convinced her family and her boyfriend that she was pregnant, so she planned to steal Tika's baby to keep that lie going. Mm-hmm. Um, Miracle has grown up a healthy and happy girl with no evidence of the trauma that she was born under. So that's good. Oh, that's, yeah. That's, uh, that's lucky. That's more than just good. Like, that's exactly. fucking miraculous. Yeah. She had no, like, prenatal trauma before, um, before that and has shown no evidence of, of anything since then. So that's good. Yeah. Uh, Tika's story has been featured on um, various, like, survive-type shows, like I Survived, um, season three, episode 26, and also a show called, I think it's on Investigation Discovery, it's called Survivor Stories, Live to Tell, and she her story was on season one, episode three. I believe you can watch that for free on investigation discoveries website because i didn't have to pay anything and i don't have like a cable subscription so i don't think it's one of those things that you have to like put in your subscription information so i think you can watch that for free and i believe the i survived episode is somewhere on youtube her story was also featured in an episode of my favorite murder i couldn't find the episode number in time but it's there yeah and before i get to my next amazing woman i just wanted to talk about uh tika's case a little bit more because um what she went through is something called fetal abduction yes it's it's a thing isn't it yes yeah and i i was very interested as i started researching it um i got a lot of this information from an article from the guardian in 2015 about a similar case so they gave a bunch of stats and remember this is from 2015 so i don't know if anything has changed recently i couldn't find that information so the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children has recorded 302 cases of infant abduction in the United States since 1983, of which 18 cases, or 6%, were fetal abductions. Of the 18 U.S. fetal abduction uh, documented cases, um, four occurred in the two decades between 1983 and 2003. 
but there have been 14 cases since 2003, in addition to four foiled attempts. So it was kind of on the rise there for a little bit. Like there were, there were four cases in two decades, and then there were 14 cases from 2003 to 2015. Yeah. Which is nuts. Yeah, that's, that's too many. Like, I'd yeah. say one is too many, but like, yeah. uh, Jesus Christ. But beyond that, there's no official statistics uh, for the U.S. or worldwide. But Kathy Naharney, uh, who is the senior analyst on infant abduction for the, for the center, said that the, this crime is definitely not limited to this country. Um, there are recorded cases from many countries across Europe, Asia, South America, and Australia. Um, in the U.S., at least, it's revealed to be a small but growing trend influenced by Naharni fears, um, easy access to news and online information. So Naharni says, quote, um, there has been a rise. There's a lot of information available, whereas in the old days, you might have to steal another woman's sonogram image from her. Now you can just download one from the internet, end quote. Yeah, that's like, Jesus. Yeah, like if you want to lie and say that you're pregnant, you can do that. And you can go ahead and try to steal a baby and keep that lie going. Um, so websites such as Facebook and Craigslist feature um, in many of the cases. And in one case, a woman briefed herself on how to conduct a cesarean section by watching the Discovery Channel. Nice. Yeah. That's so, what, what could be wrong? Yeah. Um, I'm sad to say that the um, mother in that case passed away. And oh, I believe wow. I believe her child also did too. So you really can't learn how to do a C-section by watching the no. Discovery Channel. No. Yeah. Of it, the <sighs> of, there's a current overall list of 25 reported cases or attempts. Um four of the mothers and 13 of the fetuses survived. So that's it's not good. No, um, that's, Tika those is, aren't good numbers. Yeah, Tika is uh, in the high, high lucky numbers um, for all surviving and her child surviving. Um, if this is an interesting topic to you, um, there's also a 2007 French horror film which translates to uh, being called Inside. And it's about a pregnant woman who is attacked by a sadistic woman who wants her unborn baby. So you could watch that. You could watch Rosemary's Baby. Um, just horror invo involving infants is terrifying to me. I don't think I would ever watch something like that. I, I can't. I can't stomach that type of thing. I'm sorry. Like, that's... There are just... Sometimes it's just there are such fucked up people in the world. Yeah. But then you realize how strong the survivors are. Because yes. like I said, if you watch the I Survived episode or the Live to Tell episode on Tika, she is like, she sheds no tear. Her face does not break. She has like funny, genuinely funny moments as she's like talking about it. It's insane. Because that's in, like, what you do spirits. with trauma. That's yeah. what so many people do with trauma. I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. It's like why, like Robin Williams, for example, was heavily, like, so depressed, had yeah. such a hard time of it. He was one of the funniest men alive. And there yeah. are so many situations like that where people who have such a good attitude, who are so funny, who just, like, make jokes about things, all this other stuff. And it that's 
really the only way that you can cope with your trauma and with the horrible things that you were dealing with or have dealt with. Exactly. Um, this next woman, I saw her story on uh, I Survived and literally cried as she was telling her story. Another incredibly strong woman. Um, this is about Christy Friendsley. So, on the afternoon of October 15th, 2008... 36-year-old Christy Friendsley was outside of her Kentucky home doing some yard work before her kids got home from school. She was tending to some plants, and a man came up her lawn. Sorry, there's like... No, that's okay. My cat's been alarms. all over the place, so trust me, you can have one. <laughs> have you heard him? On the main road. He's, yes, just, I heard him he's just screaming, as I like to say, singing the song of his people. Good. I don't know where he is now, which means he's probably getting into something. He's lurking. We, we had to put, not like, as a quick aside, so we can also, like, calm down a little bit, we had to put child locks on our fucking cabinets because of this cat. Good. We had, we had to put child locks on. He's I can't get into boy. my own goddamn cabinets now because of this cat. <laughs> Good. <laughs> but um, anyway. Where was I? Okay. Yes. At, um, so as she was tending to some plants, a man came up her lawn um, she had seen him before. He was wearing a blue direct TV polo, and she remembered that he had asked for directions about a week before to a house that he was doing an installation at. Mm -hmm. um, he approached Christy and gestured at the for sale sign on the lawn and asked to see inside the house. She thought it was okay. like a little bit weird, but she was like, oh, I, he's like, like probably just in the area doing an installation like during his lunch break, just like is yeah. looking to move closer. So she's yeah. like, all right. So it's not the agrees. first thing where you're just like, oh, this is weird. Yeah, I mean, her house is for sale. Like, obviously, people are going to want to come and look at it. So, um, yeah, she agrees to show him inside the house. And um, and she said that she was walking around to, like, the different rooms, like, explaining things. And he's, like, asking no questions, which is weird. And, like, she just got a weird vibe from him. Yeah. Um, And it's at that point that the man put a gun to Christie's head. Oh, um, yeah, not cool. Uh, he dragged her to her bedroom and zip tied her hands and feet oh and then God. forced her to sit on her bed and asked if there were any guns in the house and who else lived in the house. In her testimony, Christy said, quote, he wanted to smoke a cigarette and he put a cigarette in my mouth and I told him I can't smoke a cigarette without a drink of tea, Coke. I have to have something. Good girl. Good girl. Uh, yeah. Get him away. So, <laughs> he lit my cigarette and I believe it was at that time. Um, he made me take a drink out of something in a brown bag, end quote. A, a what? Something out of a brown bag. Uh, okay. It was like so alcohol like, or something. Okay, so that's what I was going to say. Like, do we know what it is? Or yeah. <laughs> Okay. I think, I think it was whiskey or something. When they find the guy later on, spoiler alert, um, they found the bottle in his garbage with her DNA on it. So oh, clearly God. he was the one. Yeah. Um. So the man asked what time the kids would be home, and Christy lied and said 3.45. Uh, it was more like 3.50-ish they would be home, but she wanted like him to get the fuck out before they, they got there. Yeah. Um, so he paced the hallways of the house, and he began opening and closing windows, just like walking all around the house. And Christy finally said, quote, I asked him if he would just do whatever he was going to do and leave before the kids got home, and he told me to shut up. Then I asked what? him if he would let me go to the door and tell the kids to go to a neighbor's house and I'd be able to get them in a few minutes. And right. he told me no and to shut up, end quote. Oh, my God. Yeah. She's trying. 
Yeah, she's like, do whatever you want to do to me, but yeah. let me get my kids out of this situation. Like, exactly. They're not, they're not prepared for what they're going to be walking into. Yes, they should not have to witness this. Yeah. So Christy's three kids arrive home and they came through the door laughing. Uh, they came down the hallway and they saw their mother tied up in her room oh before before they could do anything. The man held the gun to 14-year-old Courtney's head. He pushed her into the room along with 17-year-old Kayla and 5-year-old Ethan. No! Yeah. Oh, and then he forced them to lay down on the floor. As the man was tying up Kayla, Ethan said, quote, Why are you doing this to my mommy? I want to hug my mommy. End quote. No. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is a really rough one if you want to dip out of this one. I can't um, fucking dip out. <laughs> not you. Yeah, I know. Um, the man let Ethan up and he held on to Christy as his sisters were being tied up. He then told Ethan to get up and he tied his hands behind his back with some pantyhose that he had taken from one of the girls' rooms. The man forced each child out of the room one by one as they cried and he took them to different parts of the house. When he came back into Christy's room, he sat beside her and said, quote, okay, it's either you or your daughter, end quote. Christy realized that either she or her daughter would be raped, so she immediately said it should be her. Um, the man started kissing her and said, quote, use your tongue or you'll be sorry. End quote. Oh my God. Yeah. What the uh, fuck? Yeah, he cut the zip ties around Chrissy's ankles and raped her. And when he was done, um, he took her to the bathroom to wash off any evidence and led her back to her room. And then he said, quote, I'm going to have to put you out so you don't see me leave, end quote. And then he begins to strangle Christy. What? Um, yeah, but he's a fucking useless piece of shit, and it wasn't working because it's really not that hard. To, I mean, it's really not that easy to strangle somebody unless yeah. you've got, like, real good strength. Uh, and he was a direct TV installer, so all right. Um, I mean, I mean, those satellites are pretty heavy. Yeah, sure. Um, so that wasn't working, and he tried to break her neck. Oh, my God. That's also not very easy to do. No, but and it's fucking painful. Yeah. She, um, she's still, she's getting the shit beaten out of her. Yes. Yeah. After going through all this and just seeing her children being tied up and led to different parts of the house where she does not know where they are, that has to be another physical pain that she's feeling. Like, she doesn't know what's happened to her kids. Yeah. Um, so he couldn't break her neck. So where was I? Hold on. No worries. I'll Believe me, if you want to take a break, that's fine by me. No. Um, so he couldn't break her neck. So he pulled out a knife and, um, to cut Christie's neck and was seemingly just trying to cut her head off. Oh, that's what she casual. said. Yeah. That's what she said. It felt like, um, so he cut her and he left the room um, and then came back and then stabbed her again in the left ear and then the lower back. Christy just laid there pretending to be dead um, so that he would fucking leave and he covered her in a blanket and Christy waited like for him to leave but like she had been she'd been stabbed in the ear she said and she was laying oh on on her good ear so she couldn't hear if he was gone. So she just had to wait there and be like, okay, like, it's been as long as I can wait. Like, he has to be gone by now. Right. Um, so. Hold on. Oh, my God. I keep losing my place. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, yeah. So she laid there pretending to be dead. Um, 
she could see from under the blanket like a little bit she saw ethan's body in the hallway and Mm -hmm. she was just waiting till the coast was clear then she said that she was going to get up grab ethan and make her way out of the house um the man returned to her room and poured something on the floor and then lit the room on fire oh my god yeah so chrissy tried to stand up and get out of the burning room but she just couldn't move her right leg um the stab wounds to her back had paralyzed her um she rolled off her bed and over to the french doors in her room that led to the backyard and she managed to open one of the doors with her left foot um her hair and foot caught fire but christy managed to roll herself into the backyard and into the pool uh a neighbor saw the house was on fire and the police arrived and rescued christy from the pool and asked if she knew her attacker, and all that she could say was that he was from a cable company. Um, Christy had life-threatening stab wounds, a fractured skull, minor burns, and her ear canal and vocal cords had been severed. She was put into a medically induced coma and underwent multiple surgeries. She woke up a few times and asked about her children, and the doctors said that they were in good hands. Um, she was taken out of her coma after three days, and that's when she was told that all three of her children had been murdered. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's... Three days later, oh 37-year-old God. Kevin Wayne Dunlap was arrested and charged, and he was found guilty of all counts and sentenced to death on March Good. 19th, 2010. Oh, my God. I... Oh, my God. Yeah. She doesn't know if they died in the fire, if he had murdered them when he took them out of the room. She has no information. I part of it part of me thinks that it's better that she doesn't know and then because either way it's bad either way like either you're wondering for the rest of your life what their final moments were like or you know what their final moments were like and you are torturing yourself the rest of your life thinking what you could have done to stop it she literally couldn't have done anything she was yeah tied exactly up, like, like there's nothing she could but have you done. try yeah but you try telling her that like come yeah. on and she was featured on uh, season seven, episode two of I Survived, and she remained like poised and put together the entire time. She teared up when she was talking about how Ethan wanted to get up and hug her. Oh, God. That was the only time that she really teared up. And she's incredible and in how you go on after something like that. Yeah, what a I strong can't, fucking I woman. Can't. Like all of these people that we've discussed are strong, but holy fucking God. Yes. And uh, the last story I'm going to tell is one that many true crime feminists will probably know of. And that's the story oh, of Mary Vincent. I, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, shit, yeah. it's Mary Vincent. Oh, God, if I can't you, stomach this again. <laughs> if you don't know the story of Mary Vincent, I'm not saying that like anyone wins because their story is horrific, because that's horrible. And why would anyone say that? But when I was researching cases, I was like... Number one thing happened to her. Oh, my God. Number two thing happened to her. How? Number three thing happened to her. She's still alive? Yeah. She's she's like, I want to say, without being glib, she's probably the poster child for women who have survived terrible crimes. That I have heard of. Because I'm sure there are people who have been victims of something. But that's what I mean. Like, the public, the public face of, like, everybody, like... You just, you know, you know her. Yeah. It's her story's been told a lot. And um, so if you don't know, saddle up because it's rough. 
Um, in September 1978, 15-year-old Mary Vincent ran away from her family in Las Vegas, Nevada. Her parents were going through a divorce and her home life was very chaotic, so she made her way up to the Bay Area in California to stay with a boyfriend um, around the Berkeley area. Um, eventually, Mary got homesick, so she decided to hitchhike to her grandfather near Los Angeles, um, which was a couple hours south of where she was. A man pulled up in a blue van and offered her a ride. And there were two other hitchhikers that were behind Mary a little bit. And they had signs saying that they were also going in the same general direction. But the man said that he only had room for one. Um, the two hitchhikers could see that the van was virtually empty. And they told Mary that this is not safe. Don't go with him. Um, he says he can only take one. He's taking a young girl. Like, this is not a good situation. But Mary said that she was an experienced hitchhiker and she was just so tired and homesick and lonely, so she got into the truck. She dozed off for a bit, and when she woke up, she noticed that the signs were saying that they were going in, in the wrong direction. Um, when Mary confronted him about this, he apologized and said that he just had to pull off on a uh, road for a second, go to the bathroom, and he would turn right back around and go the way that she needed to go. Um... So Mary knew she was in trouble at this point and it was getting dark. So she thought about trying to outrun the older man. She's like, I'm 15. I'm good to go. And like, he's in his 50s, 60s, if that. She's like, I can outrun this guy. Um, so she got out of the car to tie her shoe and she was hit in the head with a sledgehammer. She, of course, blacked out. And when she woke up, she was tied up in the back of the truck. The man raped Mary about six times and then fell asleep. Mary prayed for death, and when the man woke up, she said, quote, please just set me free. I won't tell anyone. Let me go. Just set me free, end quote. He continued to rape Mary and then grabbed her and said, uh, you want me to set you free? I'll set you free. No. Yeah. I, I, I even know this story. It still upsets me. Yes. Like, uh, So he pulled out a hatchet took Mary's left arm, swung twice, and removed her arm from her body right below the elbow. Nope. As Mary was kicking and screaming for help, um, she like grabbed onto him with her right arm. Oh, I hate then, this part. Yeah, and then he started hacking that arm off as well. Um, she, and she said... Can we just talk about how also she did not know that her arm, that arm had been hacked off until she was watching him it still had a grip on his arm and he yeah. was trying to shake her fuck it i can't i can't yeah. so she said that okay. like she had grabbed onto him with her she saw him take off her left arm and that immediately sent her into shock so she grabs him with her right arm and is holding on and then she just she said she just started falling backwards and she's like how is this happening i'm holding on to him so she looks up and she sees him trying to He's like flicking his arm because her ar her hand is still grabbed around his arm. So she has both of her arms removed at the elbows. God fucking damn. Yeah. Um, so because Mary was fighting, uh, it took longer for her other arm to be cut off. And she says in um, the episode of I Survived, she said she could feel everything. She felt the hatchet ripping at her skin and muscle and bone and she said she felt her blood leaving her body. Um, the man must have thought that Mary was dead or 
maybe he just didn't even care. Um, he dragged her over to a 30-foot cliff and threw her over and then drove away. She broke four ribs, but was amazingly still alive. Um, and she lay there naked and losing a ton of blood. Um, Mary said that she just, she just wanted to go to sleep. She was cold. She was tired. She just wanted to go to sleep. But she heard a voice that said, um, quote, you can't go to sleep because he's going to do this to someone else and you can't let that happen, end quote. Which, like, what a fucking queen. Yeah. So she wasn't thinking about herself. She's not like, I can't let myself die. I can't, like, I can't do this. She was thinking somebody else is going to be in this situation and that can't happen. So with the amount of willpower I will never see in my entire life, she got up, she stuck her arms in the dirt to stop the blood flow to make like a mud pack like and who the fuck thinks of that a survivor what a i I know i'd be fucking dead so she began to crawl up the cliff it took her all day um so but by the time she made it to the road it was dark and there it's a deserted road in like rural california there are no street lights she said if the moon and the stars weren't out she wouldn't be able to know where she was so she heard a freeway. So she's like, I'm just going to walk in that direction. So she walks. And by the time she gets to the road, it's light again. She walked three miles. The first car um, that she called out to was a red convertible with two young men in it. And they saw her and they sped off. And you could be thinking, oh, my God, how could they do that to a person? But Mary in the episode said herself, She's like, I was naked, covered in dirt and blood. I was missing both of my arms. Like, I looked like something out of a horror movie. Yeah. So she like, holds no ill will to these right. two people that drove away. Right. Um, but the second car um, was that of a couple on their honeymoon that had gotten lost. They, take, they took the wrong exit. They come upon Mary, get her into their car immediately, and they race to a place where they can call the paramedics. Um, Mary said that um, she could hear the tires peeling out. Like, that's how fast they were going. Like, pedal to the metal as fast as they possibly could. Um, She was airlifted to the hospital where she was told that she had lost half the blood in her body. And what was left had risen to a toxic level. So, the fact that she was alive is astounding. It's, yeah, Um, it's not even, it makes, theoretic, like, it makes no sense. Yeah. It makes no sense. Um. And 10 days later, police identified Mary's attacker as Lawrence Singleton, and he was a merchant seaman. The next time Mary saw him was in court, and again, she's like 15 years old. Um, yeah. She's, that's the thing that people also forget, is she's still a child. Yes. And she was obviously understandably terrified, because like the last time she had seen him, her arm was still grasping onto his arm. Um and now he's 15 feet away from her as she's testifying, as she's telling the story. So he was convicted of rape and attempted murder and sentenced to 14 years in prison, which was the maximum term allowed under California law at the time, just 14 Bullshit. years for cutting a 15-year-old's two arms off and throwing her off a cliff. Um, and as she was leaving the courthouse, Mary remembers passing Singleton, and he said to her, quote, if it's the last thing I do, I'll finish the job. Which also, what the fuck? He should have gotten 14 more years just for that. Yeah! How do you say that? 
Or he confessed. What is, what is what is the not just he confessed, but like that's that's technically that's harassment, that's threatening assault. Like exactly. there are multiple There's charges he could have gotten there. slammed with, but no, yeah. but no, but no, we're gonna give him only fucking fourteen years. Oh, but wait, marijuana. Like, people convicted of marijuana possession get longer exactly. terms than that. What the fuck? Anyway. Singleton was paroled in 1987 after f- serving only eight years of his sentence. Yep. Yeah. And Mary was haunted by his threat, uh, especially because she was in the midst of starting her own family. I think she, um, like, a year after that, she yeah. just got married. She had uh, two sons. Um, she, so she, she did, because haunted. wasn't it a thing? Because they had to, like... Because I, 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 too, watched the I Survive thing in case anybody of wasn't able to gather that. Yeah, who hasn't? Yeah. But um, she, it was, she, that was a thing that I think she said was going through her mind when they called her and said he'd been released. She was like, my sons. Yeah. Like, what is going to happen? He's going to finish the job and I have my sons. Yeah. Um, but in 1997, he ended up murdering a woman in Florida and was yep. sentenced to death. But he died just, of cancer before he could be put to death. Not just a, a woman. I know. I'm sorry for hijacking this one, but I love this story in the sense that she is like a fucking queen. Um, it was actually a sex worker. Yes. There was there was a whole thing where basically he was in a trailer in the middle of nowhere because everywhere that the state tried to send him, like whatever town. That's when he was paroled. So yes. he was paroled in 1987. And they were like, okay, the state's going to send him here. And then that yeah. town would rise up and say, like, fuck Absolutely no, he's not coming not. here. Yes, no one fucking to, wanted him. They tried to send him to, like, family in Tampa. And then Florida rose up and was like, fuck no. And that's when so, you like, know, because fucking Florida was like, this guy's too crazy for us. Yeah. So finally somebody was like, you can put a trailer on the grounds of San Quentin and you can leave him there until yes. his parole is up. Yes. So that's what happened. So he was... Uh, paroled for a year so he lived in that trailer but then he was officially released so he can go wherever he wants like you the state has no control over him at that point yes so that's when he went to florida and that's when he killed this woman the sex worker yes who was also a mother of i believe two she was like trying to do her thing yeah Yeah, she was trying to do her thing like make money take care of her fucking kids and he fucking pulls this bullshit yes i hate him yeah, Low he's key. the fucking worst. He's yeah, he's a he's garbage a garbage human. Yeah, like burn, burn in hell. Like I fucking hate him. Yeah. Um. So, in the wake of all this, Mary started the Mary Vincent Foundation to help other women of traumatic crime. But I think the foundation might not be active anymore because, as mm. I was researching it to find more information on it, I couldn't find anything. So I don't I know no if it's idea. still a thing, or maybe they changed their name. But I oh I yeah couldn't maybe. Find it. Um. So like we said, Mary's story has been uh, shared on a ton of different places. There's so many true crime podcasts and YouTube channels that have covered her story, um, including episode 18 of My Favorite Murder. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was season three, episode one of I Survived. And that episode has a 7.9 out of 10 on IMDb. Yes. Yeah. As Um, it should. Because it's, it's a good fucking episode. If you watch no other episodes of I Survived, watch that one. Yeah, I think you can find it on YouTube. Oh, possibly. you can definitely. Oh, everybody puts everything on YouTube. You can definitely yeah. find it on YouTube. Um, so that's my stories, but I did want to give a little bit of information on the um, the day itself. So the International Day for the Elimina- Elimination of Violence Against Women, um, like I said, it was designated on November 25th um, by the UN United Nations General Assembly. They officially created that day. 
And the premise of the day is to raise awareness of the fact that women around the world are subject to rape, domestic violence, and other forms of violence. Um, and one of the aims is to highlight that um, the scale and true nature of the issue is often hidden. Um, historically, the date is based on the day of the 1960 assassination of three um, Maribal sisters, and they were political activists in the Dominican Republic. And their killings were ordered by Dominican dictator Rafael Trulio. In 1981, activists in the Latin American and Caribbean feminist uh, groups marked November 25th as a day to combat and raise awareness of violence against women more broadly. And on December 17th, 1999, the date received its official United Nations resolution. Um, And over the past three years, there have been marches thousands strong in places like Rome, Istanbul, uh, Lima, Bogota, Paris, and San Jose, Costa Rica. Um, and I think the ribbon color, like the, you know how they have like the awareness ribbons? I think the ribbon color for this day is orange because lots of the themes for the marches and events are something that has to do with orange. Um, okay. I didn't know that. To get, to get into some terrifying stats... An estimated 35% of women worldwide have experienced either physical and or sexual violence from an intimate partner or sexual violence by a non-partner, which would be like sexual harassment, at some point in their lives, but studies show that the number could be as high as 70%. 70% of women worldwide. Crazy. Yeah. Evidence shows that women who have experienced physical or sexual intimate partner violence report higher rates of depression having an abortion and acquiring HIV compared to women who have not. Mm -hmm. It is estimated that of the 87,000 women who were intentionally killed in 2017 globally, more than half, uh, 50,000, 58% were killed by an intimate partner or family members, meaning that 137 women across the world are killed by a member of their own family every day. More than a third, 30,000, of the women intentionally killed in 2017 were killed by their current or former intimate partner. Approximately 15 million adolescent girls ages 15 to 19 worldwide have experienced forced sexual um, intercourse or other sexual acts at some point in their life. In the vast majority of countries, adolescent girls are most at risk by forced uh, sex by a current or former husband, partner, or boyfriend. Based on data from 30 countries, only 1% ever sought professional help. Which is astounding. Um, In multi-country studies from the Middle East and North Africa, between 40 and 60% of women said they have experienced street-based sexual harassment, uh, mainly sexual comments, stalking and following, or staring. And 31% to 64% of men said that they have carried out such acts. Um, yeah. Younger men are men with more education and men who have experienced, uh, violence as children are more likely to engage in street sexual harassment. Young women, low income women, and some minorities are disproportionately victims of domestic violence and rape. Women ages 20 to 24 are at great risk of non-fatal domestic violence, and women aged 24 and under suffer from the highest rates of rape. 
The Justice Department estimates that one in five women will experience rape or attempted rape during their college years, and that less than 5% of these rapes will be reported. Income is also a factor. The poorer the household, the higher the rate of domestic violence, with women in the lowest income category experiencing more than six times the rate of non-fatal intimate partner violence as compared to women in the highest income category. When we consider race, we see that African-American women face higher rates of domestic violence than white women, and American Indian women are victimized yes. at a rate more than double that of women of other races. Right, and that's something we, I think we also touched on during our Highway of Tears episode. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just crazy, all those stats. There's so many other stats that um, you can look up if you want to educate yourself. But I just wanted to end with um, some hotlines and resources and charities that if you are somebody that is going through something like this, you can reach out to these charities or hotlines and um, get yourself some help. So the National Domestic Violence Hotline website, which is um, thehotline.org, it has a pop-up as soon as you get to the site that says if you're afraid that your computer usage is being monitored, they give you the hotline on the pop-up. And when you click the X, it just redirects you to Google and it won't show up in your browser history. So if you're afraid that somebody's going to be like looking at your browser and your partner sees or who your abuser sees uh, you looking at the domestic violence hotline, um, this won't show up. But once you're on the site, there are a few numbers that you can call and there's actually a chat now button to speak to someone immediately via like an IM service. Um, and I thought this was really interesting. They even have a tab called, is this abuse? And it helps you see the warning signs and try to understand why someone would be abusive. Um, they have information on healthy relationships and many resources to help uh, victims legally and to help survivors as well as um, if a friend or family member is a survivor, how you as a friend or family member can help this person on their um, journey back to wellness. And they even have services to help with deaf abuse victims. So if you can't call mm -hmm. the hotline, they have services to help you out. Then there is also the Office on Women's Health, and it has great information on their website, and that's womenshealth.gov. Um, they have information regarding date rape drugs and helping someone through an unhealthy relationship. They also have phone numbers for the National Dating Abuse Hotline, the National Sexual Assault Hotline, and also the number for the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Um, they have also resources by state, so you can get help immediately in your area. So you don't have to call the national line. If you're in the U.S., you can find information in your state specific. And then the last one I wanted to mention is um, our queen, Mariska Hargitay of Law & Order SVU Yes, queen! Oh, yes. we love her. She started the Joyful Heart Foundation in 2004 yes. uh, to help heal, educate, and empower survivors of sexual assault, domestic violence, and child abuse. Yes, she Hargitay did. Hargitay says on the foundation's website, quote, it all started when I began my work on Law & Order SVU um, over a decade ago. In my research for my role, I encountered statistics that shocked me. One in three women report being physically or sexually abused by a husband or boyfriend at some point in their lives. Every two minutes in the United States, someone is sexually assaulted. More than five children die every day in this country as a result of child abuse and neglect. And up to 15 million children witness domestic violence in their homes each year. 
I was also getting letters from viewers who were disclosing their stories of abuse to me. Naturally, I'd get letters that say, hi, can I have, can I please have an autograph picture? But it was different. Um, I started getting letters that said, I'm 15 and my dad is raping me since I was 11 and I've never told anyone. Jesus Christ. Yeah. God. And how do you get that as like, you're just an actress. Yeah. <laughs> like, how do you not get moved to do something when you're getting these letters? So she did do something and it's incredible. Um, she revealed, uh, sorry, she realized that she could use her fame as Detective Olivia Benson on SVU to draw attention to the issues surrounding abuse and domestic violence victims. Joyful Heart has served more than 13,000 individuals through its healing and wellness programs connected more than 1.5 million people through its website and online offerings to resources that offer help and affect uh, policy changes in many states. Hargitay said, quote, Joyful Heart is about the courage to heal, and our programming is dedicated to honoring that brave decision, end quote. The nonprofit works with legislators and the medical community and law enforcement and the criminal justice system to craft and enact laws um, dealing with sexual and family violence. Harkate herself is a vocal advocate testifying before Congress, urging lawmakers to address the backlog of untested rape kits in the U.S. and also launch the uh, endthebacklog.org, which is a website dedicated to this issue. She recently made her directorial debut with a uh, star-laden campaign for No More, the nation's first unifying symbol to end domestic violence and sexual assault. And um, I also want to say I know we don't have strictly u.s based um listeners so yes. some of the foundations and information that i have just spoken about are not going to be available to you but i also want to make our website a safe space so if you think that your um browser history is being monitored i'm going to put on our website which is just a website for a podcast the information for as many domestic violence uh, hotlines that I can find. So whether it's your state, your country, I'm going to find all of those and put them on our website. And um, I'll try to put them in our show notes too. So if you need any type of help, I will have those phone numbers and information available to you. Um, And another thing that you can do also, if as long as your abuser is not looking over your shoulder and monitoring what you're doing, you can also go on your phone, if you're able to get access to one, go on your computer, go into a private browser, and that does not save any of your history as soon as you X out of it. Yeah. Yeah, private browser, use a communal uh, uh, computer at like yep. a library or something. Yep. Just f- get yourself help. Tell a trusted friend, family member, someone. Mm-hmm. And... 10 times out of 10, they will help you. Yeah, but actually. Yeah. I know if somebody came to me and said, hey, my boyfriend is abusing me, I would immediately look into ways to help. Yes. Yeah. And so I just wanted to raise awareness of this day that was yesterday. Um, And just because not a lot of people know about it. And we... I also want to acknowledge we talk about um, violence against women. Mm-hmm. All of these stories could also be flipped. And yes, they're equally horrifying stories of men and uh, 
various other genders and um this is this episode is just for um this day specific yes so we will get to all types of different type of violence and raising awareness of that but um this episode was just very specific on violence against women and i wanted to tell survivor stories because you can be a survivor And that's that. <sighs> it's a big sigh of relief now. It's not even just a sigh of relief. It's a sigh of like, I just, there are times where, I, and this is one of them, I just really wish we did not have to, that this wasn't even something to discuss. Yeah. Um, but like I said, all that information is going to be on our website, which is crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. Um, you can also... Check out all of our social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. You can go to our Patreon. Yes, you and, can. Uh, you can support us there for as little as a dollar, as much as whatever you want. And every single cent is lovely and incredible. And we love you all. Mm -hmm. That's that. I heard Felix in the background. Yeah, he's just... <sighs> he's assaulting me. Come here, Felix. Felix, see now he's running away. Now he's running Good. away because he knows. Acknowledged him. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. He goes yep. from I can't get enough attention to Why are you talking to me? Yep. Thus is the life of a cat. Yes. Anyway, that's it for this week. Next week is uh December. Yay! Yay! So that's when we start our. Um, United States of Horror series. Yes! If you haven't heard, we got listeners in all 50 states of the United States, so we are celebrating by talking about each state individually and uh, talking about crime and their favorite urban legends and a bunch of other stuff. So listen for your state. Or listen to the whole thing. That would be preferable. Yeah, I wouldn't be mad at that. That's going to be the whole month of December. Yeah, yeet. So that's that. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next Tuesday. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. Yes. Happy Thanksgiving. Again, Thanksgiving isn't always fun for some people, especially for Canadians who already had their Thanksgiving. But for yep. whatever reason, if it's not fun, it's okay. It's just, it's just a, it's just a holiday. It's just a dumb holiday. It's just a dumb holiday. We killed the Native Americans with our smallpox blankets. But yeah, we are your family. If you're lonely and not with family, just message us. Yeah. We'll be around. We're around. Yeah. I'm not doing much. All right. Okay. So we'll see you next Tuesday. See you Bye. next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.